once the world was full of wonders. But it belongs to humans now. We have all but disappeared. Demons, vampires, and witches hiding in plain sight. And we're live. Welcome back, witches, for the final episode of season one of A Discovery of Witches, but season two of Pop Culture Theologians. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Facebook at Pop Theologians. You can follow me in all of my glory at jerickson85 and Marcy, my foul-mouthed exhausted friend from Florida. <laughs> what about you? Hey everyone. Um, you can find me on Twitter at I am the men who can though. Like I've said for a couple weeks, I'm probably going to be switching up that Twitter pretty soon. Um, so I will let you guys know in the next episode, but for now you can find me there. Uh, it's a wonder woman quote and I am always like interacting with people online. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Want to give a quick shout out to the Engaged Gaze that hosts us. Um, make sure that you check out the website. And like with all things, we've got a lot of stuff to cover this week. If you've seen the episode, you hopefully have. If you're not, well, your fault. But um, Marcy, what's one really weird thing that happened this week? So not weird, but where like I had like a surreal moment in my life and I was like, Marka, um, I went last night to a late showing of Captain Marvel with my brother. Oh, how is it? So I was, John can attest to this. Cry? I, I was cry? in a foul mood yesterday. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm so tired. I have a lot of work stuff going on, but my brother and I are like, two little film critics right like we go to every movie we can go see then we talk about it over food we argue about it we'll argue about it over text like it's just I, I love my brother this is a shout out to John Paul who has been a very loyal listener since season one um so we went last night and I was like I was tired and I was not expecting a lot and then I've been following I don't know if you've been following this John this kind of like online troll situation that we actually saw happen with Wonder Woman and Black Panther as well. So you get people of color or women, and God forbid, women of color on screen and the trolls go crazy on Rotten Tomatoes, um, which tanks the score, right? And um, it becomes kind of like this unfair, like build up to movies. Actually, The Last Jedi had this happen as well because they had an Asian actress play a lead role. Like you can't make up how gross this whole thing is. So I don't think I was like swayed by those um, tanked reviews, but like I, I'm a DC girl at heart. My dad worked for Warner Brothers. Like I grew up with like Batman, Wonder Woman, and, and I didn't know anything about Captain Marvel. So we go last night. We we get to the theater and it is fucking packed. Like Good. everywhere. Every, and we went late and it was packed and like we get to amc's we go through the little amc superstar line because my brother is like a baller and we talked to the guy getting like our um our sodas and i was like how's it been tonight right because like if you want to know how a movie's doing ask the popcorn people and the guy was like i've seen it three times like everyone's come up in costumes and whatever and i was super excited and i sat down i sat down in a row full of bros and i was like okay oh, this no. is the test of like how this is going to go. So here's my three takeaways from last night. One, I cried multiple times last night. Multiple mm. times, very similar to the way that I felt watching Wonder Woman and Black Panther. Um, for me as a woman, uh, 
this movie is a lot to take in. I didn't realize how, like, Wonder Woman was a huge thing, huge step up, right? And for women, little girls everywhere, it was a big thing. Last Night was a step up from Wonder Woman. Like, we have a lead female character who, <laughs> she's, she's got no romantic interest because she doesn't have time for that, but not because, like, they're trying to do, just because they were telling her story and not everyone needs a romantic interest. She's got baller friends who are super loyal to her, and she cares about refugees and immigrants, and it's a big fuck you to colonialism and, and like, patriarchy. And so I, that's what I took in. And I was like, this movie is amazing. And I had multiple tears and multiple times. Here's the thing. The bro line next to me, fucking standing ovation at the end. Everyone clapping, everyone staying for, um, this is not a spoiler alert. This is because I love you. There are two end credit scenes. So stay, stay through, through those. Got it. Got it. Um, but like the applause was thunderous and everyone's just kind of like high-fiving and yes and like this was so great and like my little dark spirit that came into that movie last night left like like feeling so great and like and wondering what it would have been like to be a little girl and to see a fucking badass pilot save the motherfucking world and be a really good fucking friend and her friend's a fucking pilot and like and then they care about social issues and they care about doing the right thing. Like, I wonder what that would have been like, because John and I have talked about this before. I love the stories I grew up with, but they are based in purity culture. They are very damaging. And like, you know, we don't think they are, but they become a part of our self-conscious. I can't wait to see the Wonder Woman, Marvel, Black Panther generation go up, like yeah. grow up. It's just amazing. So sorry, that was very Wonder long-winded. Wonder Woman still gives me all the feels. I remember standing up in the middle of the theater, like drawn to standing up. I was like taken from my seat to another world. And I now, because today is a day off for me, even though I'm going to see Captain Marvel today, I'm totally going to go see it because I love Captain Marvel. I'm a huge comic book nerd. Um, I have a Jean Grey obsession from X Men. That's like probably not. You're gonna get the um the Dark Phoenix trailer, just so you know. Yeah, but I know, and I know it does not look so. I mean, I my good friend Alex Ships plays Storm in the show. And in the movie, and I love her, so I'm gonna save my commentary. But um, dark. (laughs) So, like, there's stuff about X-Men I'll forgive, but, like, Jean Grey, like, canon and stuff, like, I can't forgive if you do it wrong, because I've been wanting an actual Dark Phoenix movie for years, like, since I was a boy, and, like, this ain't it. I remember you and I, when we first met, talking about, like, first and foremost, so, first off, we're we're comic book nerds, which I think is pretty obvious, um, but that we both had a deep, deep love for X-Men. Like, fundamentally, like, my brother was always Batman, like, Brent's actually kind of like a Batman, but also some of the JLA, but, like, when I met John, we both, remember we were talking about, I was like, X-Men fundamentally for me was what I followed. I followed the comics, I followed the Mm -hmm. cartoon, like, I was just, like, I loved the... I love that narrative. So I'm with you. I'm with you, but X-Men I'm excited. Op- yeah. X-Men opened up me to a lot of stuff. Like my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts is Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. I mean, like they, there is so much there. So, you know. Awesome. Okay, awesome. Marcy. Are you ready? <laughs> are you ready for this? I feel like Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, let's, uh, this is exciting. Breaking down a final episode is always exciting because um, I don't think we agreed on the Purge episode last year. We kind of had different takes on it. So I'm excited for us to go into this. Let's do this. 
All right. So uh, let's do this means let's break down a very, I want to see if you agree with me, John, a very rushed episode. Yeah, I, it's a very rushed episode. Yeah. So I think that this, this breakdown in particular, you're going to have to fill in stuff for me as the non-reader on our podcast. Um, for those listening, not non-reader, like I don't read, like non-reader, like I haven't read this. I don't read much. I don't read. (laughs) Right. Anyone who knows me is like, you're lying. You're surrounded by books. You're going to die under the weight of your books. So this episode opens with where we left it off last week, which is Diana is training with Matthew in the forest and she's got her eyes closed. She's looking for him. And then she runs into Juliet, right? Uh, mm-hmm. worst case scenario if you're like eyes closed in a forest and you run into your current booze ex like not a great scenario um, so she, she kind of looks at her and she's like you must be Diana right and then Matthew shows up pretty quickly because like, he probably smelled her um, and as Matthew kind of comes in Juliet grabs Diana's neck and kind of digs a finger into her neck and is kind of like I will make her bleed you abandoned me and um Okay, so this is where we're going to talk about how rushed this is. I don't know about him abandoning her. I don't have a background story on that. I have nothing to go off here. And instead of taking two seconds to do some exposition of, like, why she feels that way, what their background is, because all we've had is, like, those, like, sexy time flashbacks. Um, Like, because she's, like, kissed her. I want to see Matthew, like, very creepily, like, tells Diana not to worry about it and grants Juliet her fucking weird request and kisses her, right? Um, I just, that doesn't, grownups don't act that way. Like, I don't know what is happening here. I don't know if it's some romance book trope, but it's, it was strange to me. Like, I don't know. I think Juliet's trying to understand like how Matthew can like kiss Diana without the urges that you know we've kind of seen within these oh. horrible tropes of male masculinity because Di- Matthew was a killer at one point and Juliet is a vamp. Like, how can he cross over and ki- kiss someone? Like, she wants to see that this love that she keeps hearing about or maybe oh. feeling is like, true for her. So definitely did not think that through. I thought she was kind of like, like that little big town song of like, I've got a girl crush. Yeah, Yeah, like she's into it. Yeah, (laughs) It's just like, what is happening? That makes a little bit more sense. Um, And we know that Javert groomed Juliet, right? Apparently to be everything Matthew needed in life. And at some point she was, and then at some point she wasn't. And everything in between we don't have. Um, So Juliet seeing him kiss Diana, which power to Juliet, that's not something I would want to see throws Diana on the floor and attacks Matthew pretty viciously. She cuts into his neck and then she stabs him. Yeah. And and so this is our mocking Jay moment is what I'm going to call it. It was amazing. I will say apparently they spent all the money they could have spent on two more episodes in this like small little set of like um, special effects. Diana so horrified that Matthew is on the floor. He's bleeding out. Her anger turns into Captain Marvel-like fury in her hands, which turns to fire, and she molds that fire into a bow and arrow and shoots Juliet with this fire bow and arrow, and Juliet is dead. So... (laughs) Yes! Thank you, John, for always being so supportive. (laughs) So... 
what the fuck? Like, I when I saw the scene, I was laying in bed watching this, watching the episode, and I saw the scene. And I went, oh fuck yeah! Like I was like, she. I was like, yeah! Like it was so cool. Well done to the show. I mean, trust me, I would have loved you to spend a couple more dollars on another episode, maybe because it's a really rushed yeah. episode. But like, okay. So for me, I'm like, wait, what? We've spent eight episodes, should have been 10, probably could have benefited from 12. Eight episodes building up this kind of character. Like if we remember, Dominico's been pushing her to go find Matthew. Like there's been all these dropping hints about like her weird relationship with her vamp dad. And like, and this is it. Like fundamentally, this is, this is, she's dead. And so I think this is Rush. This is very similar to what, what was her name? Her annoying friend, Diana's annoying friend at the beginning of the season. Uh, oh my god i forgot already right. her single white female bad wig, bad wig girl bad weave girl so i i just feel like some of these characters they build them up um and then kill them off really quickly and like this isn't game of thrones man and even game of thrones gives me some context but okay so katniss moment diana turns back to matthew matthew is dying and diana like promises she's not gonna let him die and so she reaches out to the goddess she says uh. Uh, Maiden Mother Crone, which is what, um, it's an invocation, right, uh, that pagans use. It's actually one of the invocations that I feel a lot of love for. So Maiden Mother Crone, goddess help me. I will do anything to save him. And in a bit of a surprising twist, this surprised me, the goddess responds and says, fine, I will help you, but there is a price. That's how powerful she is. I think the one right, thing the I that you can this... commune with the divine. Yeah, because that's where like, Oh shit. Okay. So not only did she just Katniss, like, did she not just go, it's like, that scene is like in a video game where you save up all of like your crystals to max out your energy. <laughs> like, she not only like 100% Katniss, like <laughs> Julia, like with the firepower, but like, then she's like, I'm also going to com- com- commune with God and, or the goddess. And yeah, that is straight up getting the lightning bolt on Rainbow Road in Mario Kart. Like, oh my God. Great yeah. moment. <laughs> At the last second, right when you last need. second, um, yeah. So the goddess says there's this price to pay, and Diana, without like thinking twice, agrees to the price, right? Which I loved because I feel like it just continues to like show us she's like, whatever I gotta do. Well, that and we've talked about this multiple times that in real off and and we'll talk about love a little bit more later where I'm gonna contradict what I'm about to say, but in real authentic love it's always an enthusiastic yes, right? Even here where there, where the price to pay is not something good, right? The price to pay is something heavy. Enthusiastic yes, yes. For him, I will do it, right? And, and I think we can comfortably say Matthew would do the same thing, right? So she says yes, and this knife appears out of nowhere, and the goddess tells her to feed him her blood. And give it. Give it. And so um, the entire coven, this like, what, what i'm going to call the shadow coven so the de- like the vamp kiki the de- the pregnant demons the aunts they all run in right and everyone's kind of like no right because in their heads they're like vampire blood holy shit like stop like he will kill you right and she's not listening and actually it's almost like a protection shield comes out around her so she is like yo like i don't have time for your bullshit i need to save my boyfriend so she feeds him her blood and she's like i will pay this price and the goddess says very well Matthew bites her, and then she sees the entirety of their relationship in kind of these flashbacks, similar to how Matthew, when he bit single white female friend, um, 
saw her life, right? So there's like a cross-pollination of power here, Um, which I thought was interesting. She even sees him kill single white friends, which I think is important because we all know I had a bit of an issue with the fact that like she's pretending like it's totally normal that her boyfriend killed her friend. Um, So I think that's a symbolic of when you when you fundamentally lay down your life for someone and say, I love you with every fiber of my being, you're saying, I love every part of you and I need to see and know every part. Right. And I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, this whole scene like sold the show for me personally. I mean, I was like, Oh, get it. Um, I just really love how it's done. I think they could have, it could have really verged on going like super cheesy, super corny at certain times and it doesn't. Um, so I like that. And you know what, Juliet, I think, you know, you have to really look at her and how men use women as tools in this, in, in, in like the whole type of these shows that we watch, you know, and Juliet, you know, before she was a vampire was a prostitute and a Cairo brothel and so Javert found her he kidnapped her and he brought her back to you know and killed her and made her into the vampire right and he trained her personally to appeal to Matthew because there's something about Matthew that you know we find out more of as the series goes on but you know he's very specific so you know he trained her to learn mathematics and philosophy just kind of like Diana um, to really conform to his interests and you know, and I think this is a part that you are annoyed about and we'll talk about it later, but her mission was to get close to Matthew to learn the secrets about the Knights of Lazarus and the de Claremont family. But, you know, we'll get more about the Knights of Lazarus when it comes to the show. But Juliet was sadly used by a, a man with ultimate deeds. And I think, you know, she was an innocent at the end. And well, look what happened. At a minimum, yeah, they could have had Juliet saying, I dreamed a dream or something. Yeah. Oh, I would have loved if she's saying, I dreamed right? a dream. Um, I just like, I needed something. Like, he spent a summer by my side, something, something. So. Uh, I really love better. it. Okay. I know. A little bit better. Okay. So, like, a few hours later after getting bitten and con- you know, like communing with the goddess, like, which is something that I do on my Saturday, too. Right. Um, the vamp Kiki is back at the house, the, you know, house in uh, Madison, New York. And everyone is really tending to Diana, who's clearly, like, almost the blood dripped out of her. But yeah. Matthew's, like, totes fine. <laughs> I thought that was super funny, too. Like, which... <laughs> like symbolically speaking like that is what it feels like to take care of a man in the real world man yeah like (laughs) let me drain all my blood right that is the unpaid emotional labor that us women spend every week and then on saturdays and sundays we put in even more and then like sunday night it's just we're laying in a bed and our dude is just like totally cool and like such a relaxing weekend (laughs) she just died dude she like pretty much died like show some respect yeah yeah like hello um so we then jumped back to venice and javert has summoned dominico marcy's boo and they're looking for juliet and can't find her obviously because she was katniss that's what i'm gonna call it now she was katniss right Um, and Domenico feigns ignorance because he's like, I don't know where she is. I didn't send her off to her death. I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? Um, and Domenico decides to tell Javert about that too. Um, and then um, Javert goes and finds Satu, and he really wants to know, hey, by the way, like 
box witch that I've been holding around for like centuries. Like totally lost track of it. Like what did you do with Mariana? I can't remember if uh, I'm pronouncing her name right. And he's like, he finally realizes that he lost his box witch. And yeah, Sachi's I'm like, like, dude, no one deserves a box witch if you don't even know where she is. Exactly. Especially one that tells the future. <laughs> and weird riddles. I would seriously, what would you ask Box Witch? I would totally, I have things I would ask. How is Game of Thrones going to end? <laughs> when will I finish paying off my student loans? <laughs> Never. Never. No, it would answer, it's like, <laughs> when the blood runs dry through the waters of <laughs> Egypt, or something like that. Like, yeah. I'd be like, what does that Nothing's mean, Box Witch? And she'd be like, Nothing. It means nothing. It, you're never going to finish paying them off. Like, you're the stupid. Is, like, my Box Witch would definitely be Bianca Del Rio telling me this. It would never be like, something. Never, clown. Never. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, so Satu tells Javert that, you know, she let Box Witch go and, like, freed her, basically. And, um, you know, Javert asks if Diana, you know, he understands, I think Satu is like a, a very powerful and knowledgeable. Um, and he asks her if Diana is more powerful than Mariana or whatever box witch's name is. And because, you know, she's literally surviving all of this stuff. And Satu says she's probably more powerful. Like she's probably the most powerful witch we've ever seen ever. And we're kind of like, duh, she just talked with a freaking goddess. Like, come on. Um, and he notes that Satu is really defeated. Like girl is literally has no power still because Nothing. she she's exhausted. I mean, I'm, I would be exhausted just talking to Javert personally, but you know. Yeah, no, Diana uh, definitely drained her of all her power. Exactly. And so um, we go back to the house um, and the vigil is over at Diana's bed. So we're all kind of like, you know, that the vamp Kiki has moved to Diana's bed because girl be tired. Um, so uh, during the vigil or, you know, she kind of has guests, Diana, um, Miriam shows up and Miriam really, you know, is the one that's been studying Diana's DNA. Kind of when Matthew, a couple of episodes ago, he, he took her DNA and they were going to examine it to find out what um, bloodlines that she comes from. And M Miriam tells her that witch fire, which is what we're calling catnessing, like, <laughs> right. which... Um, which fire was apparently not in her DNA, but it appeared. And that's what was the thing that killed Juliet. And so she's kind of like really interesting because she's not supposed to have this stuff. So what's going on here scientifically, right? But um, Diana wakes up um, after, you know, being exhausted and almost dying. And she says to Matthew in a really, I kind of, I really like this scene. Um, he tells Matthew she tells Matthew that, you know, you craved me um, and you resisted. Like he did not kill her. Like there's this, there's a kind of like a trope with vampires. And John, you don't think that's a really low bar for a boyfriend? Not to kill her? <laughs> yeah. He can't, a he's a man, Marcy. He's a vampire. Roll himself. I swear. We see this in like Harlequin romance novels too, where it's like, he doesn't beat women. And it's like, Wow. Okay, okay, so that's where we're starting. <laughs> like, I guess this is problematic. And you know what? The writing consistently has pro been problematic from Diana's mouth. It isn't the other characters. Because I thought, like, I even went back and kind of watched parts of this episode. All of the prob problematic lines are coming from Diana. Because, like, yeah. this is a really low bar. I mean, I'm glad he didn't eat her, but I don't know. 
um you know i well i'll agree with you there i think that <laughs> i think you'll agree like maybe not killing your girlfriend isn't that low of a bar but i get the trope that like they're going for like right, vampires, the vampire and trope. And like they're yeah they're kind of being like he can't control himself when he's drinking blood you know blah 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 right but um Diana says something that reiterates kind of what we talked about a little bit ago about how she is literally sure of everything she does. She does not do something unless she's completely sure of it. And Diana's basically like, I do not regret calling upon the goddess, having a quick, you know, goddess kiki and talking about stuff and then taking my own life basically so you could live. Right, right. But like, she does okay, ask girl. she does ask him a tiny little bit about Juliet, right? Like she's yes. Like, she's like, did you love her? Right? Which, like, it's obviously bothering her. Like, it's not like she just was like, this bitch doesn't matter. Like, I mean, girl showed up and was like, for centuries. Juliet's also never, you know, Diana's never killed anyone either. Oh, I didn't realize that was her first kill. Yeah, and I think that um, you understand how Diana a couple episodes ago was like, you know, with Satu, she's like, no, you leave her to me. But with Juliet, she was almost taken over, I think, by her powers and, you know, to save and protect and defend. And so I think that she's upset that she killed Juliet. She doesn't know her or the backstory, but she's also upset maybe that she doesn't know her because Julie, because Diana, at the end of the day, is someone that likes to know the facts before making a decision, I think. Right. And she wants to know more about why is this, why is this girl literally telling you to make out with in front of me? Like, she's got some issues. Right. No, I, I totally agree. So this transitions the scene of the shadow congregation hovering over Diana's limp body um, transitions to the congregation, which the congregation is interesting in this episode. So Baldwin is convening everyone, right? But before he does that, he calls Matthew and he says, look, Knox knows Satu's alive. Um, everything's about to come out, right? and they're going to want to investigate so time's running out you guys need to figure out what you're doing they can't cover for you much longer um and then when matthew gets that call at um in madison the house kind of begins to shake really really bad so clearly the house is sensing the urgency in the moment of like shit we need to we need to figure out what we're going to do to protect diana and her prince right and so Matthew kind of walks over to what appears to be the loudest thing that's shaking in the room, which is the fireplace, and a poppet falls out of the fireplace, and it looks like a very old poppet. A poppet, for those um, listening, is a different variation of like a voodoo doll, right? Um, and so Diana kind of says something like, damn, I've never seen one this old, and Matthew was like, didn't your aunt have issues with poppets? Like, and I guess Diana's... Um, Aunt, like great 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 aunt was tortured with one of these but when they look at the poppet there's like a, a pearl earring attached to the poppet and it turns out like Matthew recognizes it and he goes that's my mother's she lost it centuries ago right <laughs> um and so clearly the house is trying to tell them something like the house is like hey like and and um you know for people putting pieces together in the last episode we were told that to travel to a different place in time, you need three things from the same time. You know, guessing that this earring <laughs> is the first of three things that will take them to the time in which they need to go hide. So we transition here to a scene with Isabeau and White Butler. And um, White Butler's leaving for Madison. So this coven, this shadow coven is growing. Um, 
and he bids goodbye to Isabeau and sh and like there's a sense of like this reminded me of in episode episode in film seven death uh part two deadly uh deathly hallows in harry potter harry potter reference take a drink there it is uh where we see everyone prepping for the dark war ahead right so we see hermione who is um taking her parents memories right um harry is saying or it's actually part one harry's saying goodbye to the to the dursleys You've got the Weasleys kind of prepping in a very real way. That's kind of what this episode feels like. Like, White Butler leaving, Isabeau saying, like, this is clearly a strong fortress for this battle, but things are about to get dark, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so back at the house, Matthew realizes the house is trying to tell them that they need to hide in time. Um, but he says, you know, the farther we go back in time to hide, uh, the more difficult it is to come back. And then in a very shady way, everyone's like, yeah, Diana's magic's not that great. So she's going to have to practice. So then we spent a, a bit of this episode watching the aunts and Matthew train Diana um, how to time travel, which is interesting because none of them can do it, right? So it's based off of memories of Diana's father doing it, which I think is yeah. interesting. Um, and then uh, she's kind of learning and we see her take tiny steps towards time travel. So like, she'll like jump like maybe a couple minutes, right? Or like an hour, um, which I think is, is great. Um, so that's where we are. Uh, yeah, it's great. I, I just kind of love how it's like a montage. I just kept hearing like the Rocky thing, like dun, 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 like they're getting ready for a battle. Yeah. That is what it feels like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of like anticlimactic as the <laughs> episode ends, you know what I mean? But anywho, um, so we're back to everyone's favorite daddy, D-A-D-D-I, um, Javert, and he appears to Knox, his homeboy Knox, um, and lets him know that, like, he's deciphered the prophecy that Box Witch has been, like, preaching forever, it seems like. And he realizes, and he lets Knox know that it's Diana, and, and Knox is, like frantic because he's like oh shit like i was t totally played because if you remember from the last episode um you understand that diana's parents um spellbound um diana to make sure that Knox couldn't when he came to test her powers realize how powerful she was and he kind of found that out briefly last episode but he's been like you know boiling in this information he's like oh yeah yeah and he is not happy no, no, not at all. This congregation you know, is falling apart, man. <laughs> yeah, let me take down your marble stones. Um, <laughs> so we're back to White Butler, um, who's shown up with Sophie and Nathaniel, and their coven is growing. I love how like this community is forming around like these two people. I really think that there's some like sweet beeline around what that really means, and um, and finally we start to get closure on this crazy storyline <laughs> regarding. The stuff that we've been following. So a really silly detail with no backstory. Sorry. Keep going, John. I will bitch later. No. Yeah. So basically Sophie um, tells Diana about the little statue um, that she has, that she's always had. And what we come to find out is that Matthew lost this chess piece on All Souls Night a really long time ago and we are seeing same night that the earring night. was lost yes exactly so we're seeing more and more connections between everyone in the vamp kiki vamp witch kiki now like coven world and sophie wants um 
Sophia basically has a story to tell them and she wants to tell them more about her lineage. And so she tells them all that um, her parents were witches and Miriam's like, that's impossible because these people are like science people, right? And they're like, that's not how this works. But as we've been finding out, the cruxes of where people are like solid in these facts, like are crumbling because of something going on in the world. And, um, but here, Sophie is. She's like, um, well, I'm here. So sorry. That's exactly what happened. And so White Butler tells them Sophie has really put her put herself in danger because remember, no one's really supposed to be there with Diana and all them. It's kind of like off limits territory. But you know, there's so much going on that they're going to this new coven that they need to get answers. Um, but as Marcy just said, the chess pieces from the same day and time. Um, as the chess piece that's gone missing and clearly they need to go back to that particular night on all souls night and they need to time travel or time walk back there and um find out really what's going on so then we go back to the ants and they're talking to sophie sophie and they heard her crying at night and it turns out that she was having a nightmare um and in the nightmare she was in a room with a baby and the congregation was coming not not only for her, but her child. And she's really nervous because she's, you know, pregnant and she doesn't really know what to do. But the ants, because they're amazing, vow to protect her and the child. And I'm just like, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, but I then, thought that was a great allegory also to like interracial marriage and protection. The fact yeah. that like that we build our own communities when we're outside of the normative, right? And then when the normative threatens our loved ones, we rally. Like, we're not going to, like, we're just not going to let someone threaten our loved ones. And I think that that is kind of a beautiful um, allegory there. I, I really do, too. And, you know, I think that these ants were the best part of the show that we didn't get as much of. And I really, it, this scene makes me sad because I wish we got more. Yeah, I agree. Yep. I just I feel like I wish we got more of an explanation of Sophie's family handing down this piece because for eight episodes, it's been like this big mystery. Like, what is this puzzle piece? And honestly, then it has nothing to do with Sophie and Nathaniel, and it has everything to do with Diana and Matthew, which means you've done a build out of these characters that are irrelevant now. Very similar to Juliet, right? Just irrelevant. So because yeah. they handed over the chess piece. And, um, yeah. and I, yeah, uh, I don't know. Again, mm. mm -hmm. but then so we go to um, we find Agatha and she's calling Nathaniel um, to check in on him, and she lets him know that she's heading she's heading back to Venice, um, and she tells him to tell Diana to be careful because she knows something's afoot, um, because the congregation is being summoned. You know, there's stuff gonna go on and go down major time and so um then we jump back to diana and she's practicing jumping back further in time i really like how they kind of do this scene and so they jump back to the day they dance in france yeah oh. that was cute and in that jumpsuit that i liked yes oh, <laughs> great jumpsuit um and so but it worked diana's getting the hang of it and they go back 25 days and they relive a bit of the day including the dancing and it's a really beautiful scene i thought it was super sweet because like there's there's memories i have with like my mom that like i would love to live that day again right and so you kind of see the the perk of this power right which is the ability to relive 
the good. I mean, it also means you have the ability to relive the bad, but um, so we transition from this jump back 25 days back to the congregation and Javert um, is telling Knox that um, he was present when Philippe, who is Isabeau and Matthew's father, um, Isabeau's husband, uh, when he set up the congregation and that he knows that if Baldwin and Matthew are killed, Marcus is the next to take their seat and they, he feels, Javert feels they could easily manage Marcus. My so, boyfriend your boyfriend so clearly there's a bit of a um a want to just get rid of the declaremonts and just have a start from scratch with the vampires in the congregation um back to the house they have this huge kind of dinner together the shadow coven right um and miriam and marcus are trying to convince sophie to let them test the child's dna right because now sophie and nathaniel really don't have an idea of whether or not that baby's going to be um a demon or a witch right like these people only care about dna it is really like like let the girl live man let her live um can i just have a day right give her a moment and then matthew and white butler are talking about the order of lazarus right and and they kind of acknowledge that this has become a shadow congregation but matthew does voice a little bit of concern that this might all be for naught if diana cannot get her powers in check to move them through time to hide them yeah. um so then back in venice satu goes on trial for the congregation and not surprisingly the witches all unite behind her right um and the congregation like has come together in this moment um i think there's an understanding for them that while what satu did was bad satu is one of them she's also one of the few witches that has shown any real ability in years and she's the only one who's had contact with diana and they don't even know all of the things about diana but they know that she's powerful so back in madison matthew um lets nathaniel and sophie know that because they put themselves in danger by coming and bringing the chess piece um that if they need help they can head to france to stay with isabeau and that Emily and Sarah, the aunts, are already going to head that way. So we now know that they're setting up kind of like a safe space. Not safe, but almost like a, like a fort of some sort. Where do they go in Harry Potter at the end of episode uh, part one, uh, book seven, Mercy? The Shell Cottage. Yes, they, they're going to their own Shell Cottage. They are going to their own Shell Cottage, which gives me a little pause because the Shell Cottage uh, chapter of Deathly Hallows is one of the saddest in the entire series. Um, but there is something, there is a sort of, if you look at the Death Eaters and the Ministry, the Dumbledore's Army and the Order of the Phoenix are shadow congregations, right? They are the polar opposite of those in power who are trying to do right. So, yes. <laughs> so, interesting that they're setting that up. Um, White Butler does ask Matthew, what about the Book of Life? This is the first time we're tying that thread back in because I feel like we lost it from the beginning of the series. So, he's like, yeah, Diana's great. You guys are great. Clearly, something magical is happening. Uh, but what about the Book of Life? Because that was supposed to tell us what we are and where we came from. And y'all seem to have forgotten that Diana had access to it for a hot minute right <laughs> yeah, uh, we forgot about that book <laughs> right <laughs> hey and matthew says maybe we will find it not tore out um and ruined back in time and i will be able to read it um so this is when everyone is heading out right so um nathaniel and sophie emily and 
um, Sarah, everyone's heading to France. White Butler's going to head off as well. Um, so they're prepping. They're prepping for war, right? And it's interesting to think of the front lines of war being in a place and time, not in a place. So going back to the congregation, um, they, they roll out the accusations towards Satu, right? So she's accused of abducting Diana and of performing like an illegal spell. Um, so guilty. guilty. And so she'd probably get more time uh, than Manafort. So she'll be- <laughs> No, she looks like she's from a community of color. So she'll probably get a lot more time because Manafort utilized his white privilege. Sorry, listeners. Sorry, listeners. We're sorry. <laughs> so- um, but he but, should have gotten more. Jesus Christ, man. What a week. Um, I can't wait for Roger Stone to just get like two weeks. So, uh, but Satu says the reason that she did abduct Diana was because Baldwin was purposely keeping Diana from the congregation with the help of Matthew working in a shadow congregation of their own. And that is treason. And so, guilty. bum, 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 also guilty. Um, <laughs> so, Javert is like, let me tell y'all about the Knights of Lazarus. And I'm like, thank you, Javert, because no one wants to talk to me about it. And so he mentions that they were established by the de Clermonts, and it was meant to further the vampire agenda. And accuses, he accuses Baldwin of working against the congregation from within the order of Lazarus. Dun, dun, dun. And then they ask Baldwin to step down. So literally, the congregation's losing members left and right. Uh, Baldwin's like, I'm not stepping down, bro. So then Agatha, bless her, is like, hey, um, we still have to vote on shit. This is democratic. Um, and all of us Americans are like, cute dream, man. <laughs> Democracy is dead. Yeah. Uh, so hey, do you have a Supreme Court with a guy named Brett Kavanaugh on it? At this point, it feels like we just have a Supreme. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So the congregation will now vote on Baldwin's life. It's like they forgot that Satu did bullshit because they're like, oh, Baldwin. Um, yeah, and then we head back to Madison. Then we head back to Madison. Yeah, um, so what do you, I have a question. Do Ask you, me. Do you feel like with how the congregation is going, like like they're going to like be able to keep up the shell of like the craziness? <laughs> so it's interesting. I was actually thinking about this. Like, um, so, so systems of power protect themselves, right? And when they start crumbling, something interesting happens. Very rarely do systems of power just crumble entirely because there's too much at stake. So if you think of like an organization that has a lot of power that is corrupt and, it, and the corruption starts to come out and infighting and everything, they usually don't go away, right? And so it was interesting when they're all talking, like Jaber doesn't even want to get rid of the vampires, like like he doesn't want to get rid of the congregation he still fundamentally believes that this system of elites is good he just wants the folks out that he doesn't want right and he wants so power. he wants power this is entirely about power and i think if you look at these feuding um species i'm using quotation air marks like joey tribbiani like they're all just vying for power that's all this is um, there is no morality at stake here. And like, none of them are going to give up the congregation because the congregation itself gives them power. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I just wanted to get your feedback. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the Vatican, actually. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> 
It does? Why? Wasn't all the Catholic, like, symbols for you? <laughs> is, there, is there infighting in Catholic congregations? White men in power? What? <laughs> You're going to tell me they touched, like, hundreds of thousands of children around the world and everyone covered it up. Oh, we should have talked about uh, Finding Neverland, Surviving R. Kelly. And no, I just watched it last night. We can't talk about that, Mercy. <laughs> I'm not ready it's yet. Although my mother never let me listen to his stuff or like watch anything with him. So thank you, Mary Eric. My mother also just never dropped me off with strangers for weeks at a time. Like yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's all I've got to say. Okay. So sorry, um, listeners, but we had a little segue. Um, so we um, go back to the ants and they are heading to everyone's favorite, well, Marcy's favorite destination. They're going to France. And yeah. so um, Sarah is really sad just to go basically because, um, you know, she knows what's about to happen. And so, um, but she's really happy, I think, finally to see Diana using her powers I thought this was cool because I feel like, again, going back to like a queer allegory that here's a supportive aunt who's like, I'm so glad you're not in the closet anymore. I'm so glad that come hell or high water, you're being yourself, you're using your power, you're living your truth. Like, I thought that was a great moment. Yeah. Um, I did too. I loved it. Um, so then we go back to the congregation and the vote is happening and Russia has intervened. No. Um, so <laughs> basically, um, Satu, Nox, and Javert vote yes. Um, and Domenico refuses to raise his hand and he sides with Baldwin. Um, ooh. And, but, you know, Domenico, your boy, he got it. So is this a moment of redemption for my Dom? Dommy? Mm. What am I going to call him? What is he going to call me? I don't know. It's, he's so sexy. <laughs> I don't know. He'll call you whatever you want. He can call um, me whatever he wants. And then, so then Baldwin thanks Agatha, and she tells him to remember that he now owes her the demons, the demons a debt. Right. So it's like I did this for you, but now you all owe me. It's amazing. Um, so the vampires are now also leaving the cottage. So the vamp Kiki's breaking up, not for like 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 Fleetwood Mac style, and they're gonna come back and do a number of tours. Like they're just like breaking up because they gotta go places. That's right. I just shaded Fleetwood Mac. I can't believe you would do that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's early here. So um, they are giving um, Matthew and Diana some alone time. Um, and Matthew gets really emotional with Marcus leaving. And he hands him a piece of parchment. And he invites him to be the Grand Master of the Knights of Lazarus. And I know Marcy's got a lot of thoughts on this. But Marcus... Yeah, so John, what does being a Grand Master mean? <laughs> Well, in an American context, it means getting all the privileges of being a white man and also being able to spew racist stuff and endorse a president. Like, what, nope. the f- <laughs> what, what is the structure of the great La- of the um, Knights of Lazarus? Like, is this a huge honor or is this like a curse? What are, like this is a nonsensical moment in this episode. Non fucking sensical. We don't know anything about this order. We don't know what it means to convey an honor. We don't know what the responsibility of Marcus taking this on is. We just don't know. And this is really fucking sloppy writing. Sorry. It pisses me off because, like, honestly, exposition matters. Like, it matters that, like, if the assumption is everyone who's watching this show has read the books, and, like, look, I get it. Like, for, like, with Harry Potter, with Game of Thrones, with anything that I love, I'm like, everyone read the book. And like, and I feel very strongly that you should read the books. I, I 
I have this book sitting on my desk. I'm going to read it once my conference is over. But those other, like, you don't need to read Game of Thrones to understand the show. You don't need to read Harry Potter to understand the show. Sure, are you missing a couple things here and there? Yeah, but fundamentally, you know what's happening scene to scene to scene. This is bad writing. I have no idea what is happening here because no one's told me. Yeah, and I wish I could tell you more without spilling. But like, you can't. I can't. I mean, here's all I'll tell you. And I think that, you know, this doesn't spoil a lot because it's more in the books. But, like, in the actual book, Diana discovers that Matthew is involved with this order when she's kind of, like, looking through his stuff. And she finds in his desk, like, a drawer filled with seals. And we find out in later books, like... Which she did find us the seals at, in France. Yes. Uh, I just... Uh, you know what? You know what the show would really benefit from? Flashbacks. Like, authentic... Flashbacks flashbacks give me flashbacks of matthew with juliet give me some flashbacks of like the creation of the order and the order through time and like that's all i need man like build it out a little bit build out jabert and juliet a tiny bit more right build up sophie and nathaniel so i have something to go off of when you introduce me to this interracial interspecies couple like this is what i'm talking about this is what's frustrating because i am positive the world in this book in these books is very rich and the show spent a, spent a lot of time getting the right feel and the gloominess and a bunch of stuff. And it's like, yo, you still have a story to tell. There, um, that's me on my, I'm going to get off my soap, soapbox. No, but you're right. And I think that's an honest criticism of the show. And I think that they're saving a lot of stuff. Or, you know, when you read the book, you know, you find out more. I, you're going to really, you're, first of all, I know you're really going to enjoy the books. I need to reread the second book. Because I haven't read it in a long time. Um, and, you know, it, they get a lot better. Um, so basically, you know, we now have a new head of the Knights of Lazarus. Well, he was invited to, but Marcus is really afraid and feels inadequate, but accepts the position to keep the Knights going while Matthew is away, you know, time walking, like everyone does. Like, here, Marcy, could you, like, take care of this mystical order while I go back in time? Right, right, right. Exactly. So Matthew then, so they all leave. The vamp Kiki's over and they're all left in the house. And Matthew tells Diana it's time and they have to go now. Um, and they put on the old clothing that, because they're going back to Elizabethan England. That's something right. that we haven't really talked about. Um, and they're going back to um, find uh, Matthew's friend, Philip Marlowe. And that isn't really talked about as well because you find that on the book where they're going. But Matthew knew him because he was connected with the Knights of Lazarus. Sorry, Marcy, I'm filling in some book parts right here. And, um, and no, so they're going you. back. Someone they're, tried. <laughs> yeah, so they're going back to Elizabethan England. And um, that's, first of all, which is one of my favorite time periods uh, um, which is exactly where we're going so they look the part they dress the part and they're going to go back there so of course with Philip Marlowe and talk like I'm like they're going to go back and meet Shakespeare which is something that I would actually do but um, so then um, they put all the clothing that Matthew's mother sent but then Baldwin calls and um, the congregation he's like hey by the way the congregation's coming for you and like they have to time walk now but um what we soon find out in the last quick scene is that Knox, Satu, and Javert have been using a cloaking spell and they have arrived at the cottage and um Satu sense who's kind of gotten her powers back by now she's got a little bit of juice um Satu senses that the house is charmed but they are too late Matthew and Diana are too late and um Satu, Knox, and Javert break 
open the door just as they jumped. And so it's kind of left on a huge cliffhanger. You don't know what happened, but dun, dun, dun. That is the episode. That is season one. End scene. End scene. End scene. So that is fundamentally the end of season two of the pop culture theologians, end of season one of Discovery of Witches. John, why don't we do this real quick before we get into some of our very exciting news at the end of this podcast. Um, let's, let's do three things that worked, two things that didn't work from the entire season. And we can start oh. with you. Oh, okay. Throw all the weight on me. So listeners, this was not rehearsed. So, um, okay. So three things that worked. Diana. Diana, Diana, Diana. I loved her. She worked for me this whole episode. I really enjoyed her. Um, one thing that worked and didn't work were the ants. I loved them. They were so great. The acting with all the characters was spectacular. What didn't work for me with them is that they didn't come in until like the last two episodes. I'm, and I've talked about that. And I just think that that acting was so great. And then what really worked for me is how Diana and like Matthew, they don't fall into certain like tropes or norms that we see a lot of times within these shows or within this type of fiction. And there's like this amazing couple that you just really, I fell in love with personally. I loved it. So those are the things that worked for me, one that didn't. And then another thing that didn't work for me is that I'm not dating Marcus. Oh, um, yeah, that's, that's gotta be rough. It's like really rough. And yeah. the vigil is tonight in West Hollywood at 6 p.m. So <laughs> anyone's around that can come. Love it. Or if you uh, can time jump, because this will be coming out after the vigil. So just time walk back. Right, right. So um, things that worked for me, the design of this show is stunning. Um, it gets this like gloomy British feel that has like a pagan lens on it. And I love the design. Um, another thing that worked for me was the very realistic ages of everyone. Um, this feels authentically like a grown-up show. Like it's not like a bunch of like 21-year-olds playing these roles. And I think that was kind of really surprising at how much I liked that. Maybe it's because I'm getting old and I'm like, I would like my heroes to be in their 30s. Um, and then the third thing that worked for me is the lore that is pulled in through threads, right? So Salem and eventually the Knights of Lazarus and like the biblical references and the academic references. Um, I can tell there's a rich world that we're building and I, I like sitting in it. Um, things that did not work for me. <laughs> Diana does not work for me fundamentally as a lead character. Like, uh. yeah, we have not developed a single thing about Diana that is not connected to Matthew. Like, and that is fundamentally for me a deal breaker with a character. Like, everything about her, her strength, like, she doesn't have strength if, she doesn't, if she's not playing with Matthew and the danger he inspires, right? She gives up her life for him. She gives up her life for him, her studies, everything. And, like, the fact that she hasn't asked questions and that seems to just fundamentally be on this ride to save her life, to give her credit, like, now it's to save her life, but, like, it's... I'm so sorry, John. It's been a very long time since I've seen such a hollow character carry an entire Ooh. show. And Ooh. that, yeah, I know. And that is why the actress is struggling. She's great. I love her, but there's nothing for her to do shit with. Like every single one of her lines is cringeworthy because in a normal world without magic, you'd be like, girl, you need to get a grip friend. Like, 
I just, I, yeah, Diana does not work for me. And like, that is maybe the strongest condemnation I've ever given a character, not only on our, our podcast, but in our written stuff on, on pop culture theologians. Mm-hmm. This does not mean I'm not tuning in for season two. I'm hooked. I'm just extremely disappointed. Um, and maybe I'm missing stuff. Maybe when I read the book, I'll feel very differently. Um, the second thing that, do, that does not work for me, which we've touched on time and time and time again, is we needed more. And maybe that would have helped the Diana problem, but this needed to be eight to 12 episodes. Like if stars can do eight to 12, the BBC can do eight to 12. So that's how I feel about it. I'm so sorry, John. <laughs> so listeners, Marcy and I are breaking up. <sighs> 10 years in the making, man. 10 years in the making. No, I mean, I think those are all criticisms that I can, you know, get behind in some way, shape or form. And I think that when you read the book, Marcy, you will feel differently about Diana. And I think you will be more upset because of the parts of Diana that they left out from the book into the show that maybe just didn't get transcribed from script to screen. good friend of mine told me we missed out on vampire yoga, which I would have loved to see on screen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So that's what worked, what didn't work. Uh, we will obviously follow season two of the show. We can't tell you what season of Pop Culture Theologians that is because we don't know when that's coming back. Um, so, so very exciting. So John, we have really exciting news for listeners. Oh my God, that I'm, the fact that I'm graduating in May? Marcy, how could you say that out loud? It's private information. Yay! So, so, so excited for you, John. John got news that his first draft of his dissertation was approved this week, so he will be graduating in May. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Marcy will not be graduating in May. Marcy is still one of the most brilliant people we have I've ever, <laughs> ever. You're such a sweetheart. No, I am taking the... Uh, the ever-present, maybe if I don't look at my dissertation, it'll disappear uh, route. Um, I, it could. I, it could, right? Uh, yeah, no. This damn book, Ashmole 737 million. Like, that is my dissertation. Great. God damn it. Yeah. Um, so we have a second piece of very exciting news, not as exciting as John graduating. Um, John, can you tee us up for this news? Yeah, I would love to. So... Um, as you know, we always do our shows and seasons and season three, you know, we have to pick a show. So what is it? What's relevant? What's happening? What's going on? What's all the tea? Where's all the shade? Um, because that's really what we're here for. Um, and Marcy, why don't you finally tell our listeners what season three of the show will be and why? Listeners, we will be covering the final seven episodes of Game of Thrones. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just because we love Cersei. Right. Uh, We're super, super, super excited to cover these last seven episodes. Um, Look, we understand that there are a million podcasts that cover Game of Thrones. There's an expected hundred million viewers for this final season worldwide it is an incredible phenomenon one that we have followed from day one uh as friends and have broken down over like beer and pizza and like conversations via twitter and text um we are super 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 excited to just as the pop culture theologians break down these final seven episodes and kind of get to the nitty-gritty of what george R. R. martin has built similar to the deathly hallows with harry potter the final set is what ties everything before together. And so um, I'm your resident historian. I, I know the, the lore 
of Westeros almost as well as I know Harry Potter lore, which is saying something. I'm very, very, very excited. Uh, we'll obviously bring a lot more than in this show, um, a lot more of our religious studies background into it because um, George R. R. Martin's working quite a bit with theology in his stuff. Um, so join us. We are so excited. It's, um, we're going to obviously take a couple weeks break in between until mm -hmm. April. Um, but we can't wait. I can't wait, John. I can't wait either. And, you know, I have, I fell in love with the show and I think so many people have. And, you know, I'm so glad that we did, you know, the first two seasons, season three, I can't believe we're on season three already, but well, we will be starting season three and, you know, it's just really fun. And, you know, we have some great stuff coming out in the meantime, you're going to be hearing um, our pop culture theologians live episode that we did at the annual American Academy of Religion, Western region conference, where we took on and covered Priscilla, uh, the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, with our guest scholar, Dr. Marie Cartier. It's a great episode. Um, so you'll have that to look forward to in the meantime, kind of like what we did between seasons one and seasons two. But yeah, I mean, like C Team Cersei, like love her. I know people hate her, but like rise, my blonde lion, rise. <laughs> uh, I am 100% uh, team stark all the way but i have a deep love for cersei it's it's just yeah. real all i'm saying is that if certain people die in this season i'm gonna lose my mind oh sweetheart you're gonna be really upset yeah so <laughs> listeners get ready to hear me cry thank you everyone for joining us for this season of pop culture theologians and we'll see you soon thank you bye <laughs>